nuclear pharmacist, I tell you, whenever I tell people I'm a nuclear pharmacist, their eyes widen. They're like, what is that? But essentially what we do is we compound and dispense radiopharmaceuticals. you're listening to brown skin stories representing women pharmacists the only podcast that will give you a first-hand experience into the life of a black woman pharmacist i'm your host fellow pharmacist at ijama and i want you to tune in to learn firsthand about the different career paths available to you after graduating from a pharmacy school and learn all the steps that you need to take to land the pharmacy job of your dreams let's get started Hey guys, welcome to another episode. Today I invited Dr. Judith Moore, an authorized nuclear pharmacist, to share her personal journey while working in a nuclear pharmacy. Dr. Moore graduated from Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences in 2012, so she's coming with over five years of experience in the nuclear pharmacy setting. She currently works at Jubilant Radio Pharma, formerly known as Triad Isotopes, and she's spilling the beans about how she took a personality test and found herself in a nuclear pharmacy practice. She schools us about how radio pharmaceuticals are actually measured, how they receive orders, and how they double check themselves to minimize any detrimental errors. Guys, she's really going into detail on this episode about what it looks like to be a nuclear pharmacist on a daily basis, where to find the resources to become an authorized nuclear pharmacist, her advice to pregnant women who wish to minimize radiation exposure while working in a nuclear pharmacy setting, and also her advice to pharmacy students that wish to shadow a nuclear pharmacist. So even if you think this nuclear pharmacist is something that you don't want to practice as a student, you can still learn about it and maybe go and observe it to really see if this is something that you might be interested Also, she gives her bonus advice to pharmacy students who really want to have a rewarding pharmacy career, no matter what path of pharmacy you choose to take. But you got to listen all the way through to hear that one. So as I always say, guys, take notes and let's get started. So I'll start by asking you, why pharmacy? Why pharmacy? You know, that's the same question they asked me when I went to interview to get into, you know, like the, do the pharmacy school interview to get into professional school. <laughs> and what'd you tell them? You know, Is it different now? You know, it's really not different because I told them the truth and, and it worked well for me in that, in that scenario. But you know, my mom's a pediatrician and my dad was an engineer. Right. And so each one was like, do what I'm doing, you know? And, and, but I, I just couldn't stand the sight of blood. Like I couldn't, you know, like I go to the hospital with my mom and, you know, see her drawing blood, you know, from a sick child. And I'm like, nope, 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 because I'm standing there wincing, you know, and so I'm scaring the poor kid. I'm scaring the patients. I'm like, this is not going to work for me. I tried engineering. Nope, nope, didn't work for me. And then I have two cousins who are pharmacists, and um, one of them helped me get a job with CVS. And I had a great pharmacist as a mentor, and he just made me fall in love with it. And I thought, this is perfect. It's like the midpoint, you know, and then I, I still get to make some money, you know, you know, because I was, I was used to a comfortable life. Not that I'm spoiled. <laughs> even though that may be hard to believe, but I was in so comfortable life. So I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to make money, I mean, pharmacy seems like a good career. And um, yeah, that, that's how I wound up getting into it. Of course, believe me, I did not mention the money part when I was interviewing with the school, but I'm just saying this after the fact because I, <laughs> plus I, I love everything to do with science, anatomy, you know, so I, that was just, I had to be science oriented and it, it just was the best thing. Like how meds work in the body. Are you kidding me? I was all over it. So yeah, 
it, it just seemed like the next natural step the moment I discovered it because like I said two cousins in it and one of them got me a job and this pharmacist I worked under he was he was just incredible he was really great so yeah I just I fell in love with it okay so then yeah. you, you talk about going interviewing to, for your school what school did you go to the Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences so it's located in Albany New York and they had an accelerated program and your regular traditional um, four-year. So I did the traditional four-year. Okay. Yeah. And so then while you were in school, you were, work, were you an intern at CVS or? No. So while I was in school, I had my, my first child while I was pre-pharmacy because I was lucky. Like I, I went to a community college and I did pre-pharmacy for two years. And I actually graduated with an associate's in pre-pharmacy. And I was just so fortunate. First time applied and to pharmacy school and I got into the school of my choice, which was Albany. So right. I had my second kid at the time. So I wasn't really working, you know, so pregnant and going through school, that was tough. I wasn't working at the time. In my third year, the start of the thir uh, third year, my career advisor said, hey, I've got a quiz I'd like you to take. It'll, it'll help you figure out, you know, maybe what you want to do when you graduate. And it was a personality career quiz, which, you know, for the life of me, I can't remember exactly what it was called, but that's, that was the, you know, the whole, that was what it was catered to your personality. And then the different uh, branches within, you know, pharmacy. And I got a, I answered the questions and I got a uh, top seven choices for what suited my personality and nuclear was number one. And I was like, wait, what, what is nuclear? I've never heard of that. What, what is that? <laughs> so so I, I looked up, I Googled them like nuclear pharmacies and, the, and there was a cardinal not too far from where I lived. So I, I showed up and I introduced myself and I, um, I spoke with the manager who was African-American, gorgeous woman, very smart. Um, she interviewed me, but she thought, oh, I think it's better if we go with, uh, if we don't go with a student this time around. And then I kind of just waited. And then when they were, when they had an opening again, I, I applied and, and I got taken in my third year. So I, I started my third year working in a nuclear pharmacy. And that's when I started working. My retail experience was before pharmacy school. Got and it. Was, you know, and of course, when I got in your rotations, you know, you do, you're mandated to do retail. But uh, yeah, I, I got into nuclear and I was like, that test was right. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> so, never looked back never really looked back. that is incredible so a personality quiz that you took yes. helped yes. you determine your career that you had yes. wow that's incredible yes. I wish I yeah. knew that I wish I took that right. personality quiz actually. right but it wasn't random too it was it was geared towards pharmacy right so like the questions were to you know like are you okay with on call and you know working long hours like it was it was weird but like it listed you know, it, the, the list it gave me, I mean, it, it was absolutely correct because I, I went through, I chose my rotations based on that list and I still loved nuclear above everything that I did. So that's um, incredible. So then yeah. tell me what is nuclear medicine and what is the role of a nuclear pharmacist? And actually, how long have you been practicing in nuclear pharmacy? Prior to graduation, I worked for two years and then I I practiced as a pharmacist for five years, uh, had two years off, and I just got back into the workforce in September of last year. So somewhere around seven years, including my student years, seven and a half years, including my student years, because I, I had the time off. Yeah, otherwise, it would have been nine or so. But nuclear pharmacist, I tell you, whenever I tell people I'm a nuclear pharmacist, their eyes widen. They're like, what is that? 
But essentially what we do is we compound and dispense radiopharmaceuticals. So your traditional pharmacy, like your CVSs and, and the ones that we're usually accustomed to, you know, you handle your drugs in terms of tablets and capsules and maybe sometimes suspensions, but we deal with radioactive material. So we have to tag drugs that are that whose ligands go to a specific part of your of your body, right? And so we take radioactive material, we tag it with that drug, and I'll get specific. I'm just being a little more general, but you take radioactive material and you tag it with with your drug, and then whatever uh, said part that drug is meant to go to, it it goes to the, to that specific part of the body, and then that it gives off radiation. The radiation that comes off from that specific part of the body, we use gamma cameras and we take back to back snapshots, and so it gives you real time you know, physiological function of whatever organ or system that, that the doctor is trying to get a read of. Make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's mostly for diagnoses, like usually diagnosing GI bleeds. Um, if you want to check if somebody has a pulmonary embolism, if the lungs are venting properly, uh, your liver, and then and then uh, treating uh, thyroid conditions. We, we compound iodine capsules. So our main form of dispensing is using syringes. We unit dose um, syringes because our, our, uh, we compound uh, solutions and then um, we dispense the, the drug as syringes. So it's quite different in the sense that we're not handling, you know, tablets unless it's iodine-123 or iodine-131, which is used for thyroid, whether you're, you're scanning the thyroid or you're trying to treat, um, do a thyroid ablation in the case of a thyroid cancer. So it's it's really really very unique and just i mean a small number of drugs that you have to deal with and so it really gives you the opportunity to really know your drugs know how they work be able to really answer questions and feel confident in what you're saying you know because i tell you at this point i'm intimidated by the idea of going into retail because i mean boy (laughs) it just it's just too much stuff to know you know right i mean i can tell you just transitioning from the hospital to like a specialty environment like there's so many new drugs on the market Mm -hmm. that i'm just like learning about which is incredible because that means like you continue to learn but absolutely they're coming out with new drugs like daily at this point (laughs) it's like you got to keep up yeah kudos Um, to you (laughs) no thank you that's it's very exciting actually um but let's talk more about nuclear medicine because a lot of people have tons of questions on this and i do too because again it's not something that they teach you in school. And right. I, I'm not sure why, but um, in terms of the preparation it took for you to become an authorized nuclear pharmacist, how mm-hmm. many hours did you need be- before you became a certified nuclear pharmacist? Yeah. So, so I know that a lot of people might feel uh, overwhelmed or sort of panicky when you think about it. They might think it's complicated, but honestly, uh, number one, I did not want to go the route of a residency or a fellowship. I mean, I, I thought it took too long and I was really grateful for the fact that you don't need that when it comes to nuclear. What you do need is the experience. And so you count that in terms of hours. You need 200 hours of classroom work. And that's that's material that's specifically already put together. I mean, you don't have to figure this out. It's pr- pretty much put together, especially by Purdue University. And whatever company you work with, some companies will pay for you to get that training. Some companies already want you to have the training. But no matter what, Purdue is like the go-to place right now. And the University of New Mexico, they used to be the top place, but Purdue kind of just overtook them. So you already have things that are put together. You don't have to figure this out. Um, and then you just go through the, the classroom hours. It will count towards uh, 200 hours of your classroom work. And then you need 500 hours of on-hand experience under a preceptor who will sign off on those hours because you need those hours, a total of 700 
in order to be able to become an authorized user. That's the first step. Yes. So 200 didactic, yes. 500 hours practical training. Yes. How do you, so why is Purdue leading in this didactic training? Well, why, why is there something different about Purdue over there? <laughs> like why Purdue and not the other universities? Right. You know, but it's like you said, uh, I don't know why a lot of people don't go into uh, teaching nuclear. I think the radiation aspect is quite scary uh, for some, but believe me, we get more radiation from the sun than we do working in a radio pharmacy, no no lie. So I I, I think people didn't really consider putting that in the curriculum, but Purdue is one of those schools that actually put it in their curriculum. They will train you and you will, you will do everything you need to do, the didactic and the, the experience, uh, well, technically experience should really be under under um, the employer, but you can actually get your experience based on the way they've mapped out their courses, you know, and, and get those signed off on, you know, so they've just uh, put themselves in a position to be, you know, a leader in, in that sense. And, and not to mention even with CE, they've expanded to include CD and they have incredible, incredible videos and instructors that, that provide these videos where they just break it all down for you. So, I mean, they just, they just took that on and, and now they're just the go-to you know, in terms of that. And they really have good professors, good instructors. Their instructors are pharmacists, most of them. And so they, who've worked in nuclear for a while. And so they're coming with years of experience, you know, and I, I guess it just worked out. Good group of people came together and they just pioneered something that wasn't really, you know, I, I thought of, I, I don't know, but, you know, it, it just so happened that, that they got that together. But, you know, going through them, you, you really at least get to get your classroom training. And then um, when you get into a workforce, then you get your work hours and you, you can get ahead that way. Because some, some people now, you know, who want to leave from retail and get into nuclear, they go through Purdue, you know, and then they're able to just come in with their authorized, as an authorized user, but then gain experience on the job. So, so yeah. is this, is this offered, are these online courses offered in, in like from Purdue or is this, do people need to go to Indiana for this? Like if I was you, a student in Maryland thinking like, well, I, I think I want to pursue the track of a nuclear pharmacist. Yeah. What do I have to do? Yeah. So, so the way it works, I don't know if they've changed it, but, but when I, when I went through uh, uh, Purdue to get my AU, um, they mail you their CDs um, and then they mail you your packet. So you do this from home. Um, there is a one week portion that you would have to do on site because, you know, there's just certain things that you have, have to actually do a practical work for. So anybody, anybody can do this. You, you can contact them, sign up for it, pay the fee, um, and then they'll send you the material. So you just watch the discs and it's sort of like the notes are sort of like fill in the blank. So, you know, you're forced to pay attention and, and pretty much be able to complete your notes by watching the CDs and, you know, filling in your information. But once you go through that, it really covers what you need to know when you're working in a nuclear pharmacy. So you come out of it with at least the, the head knowledge. And so then what you need is now to go into a pharmacy and then apply what you've learned or at least watch and learn what you've seen, you know, in your books. Got it. Do, yeah. do you know if they have a list of nuclear pharmacies in the United States available so people can just find like research or locate them based on this master list or do they have to like oh, yeah. go out and find them yeah absolutely you know i haven't been keeping track recently but when i was a student i i used the studentforum.net a lot and in the pharmacy section they had their uh frequently asked questions and and there was a list of that's where i learned about all the different branches of pharmacy i i, I mean i was stunned that there were that many um but they, they have a growing list on there, but um, 
off the top of my head, the, the main players are Cardinal Health, uh, Jubilant Radio Farmer. Uh, they, they're formerly known as Triad. And then you've got GE Healthcare. And then there's so many other independent pharmacies. So, I mean, you can practically just Google um, or use studentform.net, or you can start out from one company and maybe learn about another. I don't know, but I, I, I really have not been keeping track of who's who or who's where, but Purdue, I think, also has on their website a sort of a, a map, and you can see the locations of all the major players and even the minor players um, in the game. So Purdue is also a good resource for that, where if you go on their website, you can see a list of the nuclear pharmacies around the country, both the big ones and the, the independents. Thank you for sharing that. That's incredible information to have because, this, again, this is a topic that really doesn't get covered in schools. I'm, I'm right. not sure why it got left off, but it's so important. Yeah. So why don't you walk me through a day in the life of a nuclear pharmacist and, and tell right. us where you currently work and what your current role is there so we have a good understanding of that. This is the other unique part of nuclear pharmacy. The busiest time is overnight. And so the reason for this is because when the technologists come in in the morning ready to inject their patients, the doses have to be waiting for them there. So we have to work overnight in order to get the bulk of the orders um, from the previous day um, delivered, you know, for the technologists when they come in in the morning at 6 a.m. So uh, the shifts are normally, uh, I should probably start with the hours. Uh, Normally, a nuclear pharmacy is open and it varies just depending on the location, but the location I'm in now, I'm using that as an example. It's a really busy metro area. Um, it's actually in Dallas. Uh, it's not, not a big deal for me to say, but um, we're open from 11 p.m. until 4, 11 p.m. at night until 4 p.m. the next day. So, so depending on how busy you are, that really does give a lot of flexibility for shifts that you can have. So one pharmacist must come in and open. And so your opening shift is where you pretty much just come in and you whip out those kits. You just pound them out, and then technicians are there, and they just draw them out. So we're really busy. So you you get to draw a couple of hundred doses um, overnight. Uh, so you're just making kits and making kits. And so the way it works is um, we get uh, what we call uh, molybdenum generators. We call it Molly for short because it's so uh, you know like a tongue twister. But uh, you <laughs> Molly is like the mommy. And so Molly gives us the daughter, uh, technetium. So technetium is the main isotope that we use. You know what's interesting? You know, in, in chemistry, we have like the periodic table, right? And you see all these elements. And you're going, when am I ever going to use this? <laughs> but mm-hmm. this is exactly where you use it, right? Because you're going through, val- you, you talk about valences and the kids, they really deal with all of that. It has to be the right valence in order to give it a tag. And I'm going, really? That stuff was important? Uh, you know, but, right. but anyway, and have we added? Am I just? I think we've added some elements because <laughs> right, you're mentioning some elements that I don't remember looking <laughs> but at. They're on there. We just didn't pay attention because all we knew was hydrogen, helium, carbon, whatever. But if you look lower, <laughs> you see what I'm talking I'm, about. Literally, oh, I just technetium, technetium is TC. I'm like, really, this girl? I just pulled up the periodic table <laughs> of elements because I'm like, she has mentioned these elements. I did I forget them? I mean, I could have forgotten them because I graduated a long time ago. But this- I know, I know. I never went to the bottom. I, but I was like, really? There's stuff like this? like this is incredible, you know. But yeah, so so sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you keep going. This is incredible. <laughs> I'm just letting you know, like when you're speaking, I'm like, well, gee, I'm scratching my head. Like, right? you know, is that, so, I'm looking, 
So Molly is the daughter and then uh, technique, uh, Molly's the mommy rather and technician is the daughter. So we elute a generator with uh, normal sailing, right? So cold sailing goes, we attach it to the generator and then it sort of flows through the column and washes away the, the column, the technetium in the column and it comes out in an evacuated vial and you get hot sailing. So you, you start out with cold saline again and washes through the, the, the column of the, of the generator and it kicks out uh, technetium, which is the daughter, and we get that in a, in a shield, in a lead shield. And the other thing too, I tell you, it's a workout because you have to have everything shielded. Everything radioactive you handle has to be shielded. So you're carrying and you're lifting lead throughout your, throughout your, your shifts. So it's like, I have no upper body strength, but I tell you, I've grown a tiny amount of muscles just because I have to constantly, <laughs> you know, deal with lifting, you know, a lead shield and, you know, pulling out activity and, you know, all that stuff. So Again, I'm, this is radioactive and yeah, sorry, go right. ahead. No, I'm just trying to envision this. So let's yeah. let's just start from because I am totally ignorant to this and I'm sure <laughs> a lot of listeners are too. So let's start yeah. from number one, because you mentioned mm-hmm. the kits and then you talk about lead. When yes. you walk into the pharmacy, do you have to garb? What do you have to what does the protective equipment look like? So when you walk into a nuclear pharmacy, you have your offices and you have your break room and you have your bathrooms. This, this area is called the unrestricted area, okay? Because there should be no radioactive material sitting anywhere around there because this is where people normally would rest between shifts or do office work or what have you, right? Got it. So once you, once you go into the restricted area, this is where, and you have signs that will be posted on all doors that, that lead you into the restricted area. Radioactive symbols telling you must wear protective gear, all of that jazz. When you walk into the clean room, pre- presently we're in a, um, we're not in a clean room. We're moving to our clean room shortly. But um, when you walk into a clean room, the way it works is you have an anti area, which is your garbing area, and then you have the buffer area, which is your prep area and your work area. So in your anti area, that's where you would scrub up, you wash your arms. You first you don your 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 face mask, and then you don your cap, and then you don your uh, booties over your shoes, and then you would wash your 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 hands all the way up to your elbows, rinse up. Uh, use use lint free towel uh, cloths to wipe. Um, and then you put on a lab coat, which is usually, of course, long-sleeved and uh, longer than, your, than, than the ones we would wear in, in retail. Um, and then you, you would put on gloves once you get into, you know, the buffer site. And so what, what you have when you walk into the lab are laminar hoods, right? The, we have, you have vertical or horizontal. So it just gives you the direction of airflow. Vertical, that means air is coming out vertically, horizontal, air is coming out horizontally. But that's your, that's your uh, hood where you actually work in. The hoods, you know, and, and I could probably send you some pictures maybe that you could, you know, post. Oh, up I would love that. Yeah, okay, so people like- can see, but yeah, you're, you're, you're working in a, it's not a biological cabinet because biological cabinets, you just, you just have the glass that slides up and down in front of you. The hoods that we that we work in, they have like, you know, you, you have openings so your arms can go through, and they're wide openings, but you just have a, a, a block of lead in front of you, like an L block of lead in front of you. So it's to kind of shield you from all your manipulations within the hood, mm-hmm. and so everything has to be within six inches inside the hood to remain in that area of clean air. You know, kind of, you know, keeping your, your everything aseptic, your work area and your manipulations aseptic. 
So again, you have your generators, which should be within a couple of feet from you, well, a, a short distance from you, not a couple of feet, but a short distance from you. That way you can, when you elute the generator, say elute the generator, when you elute the generator, then you can walk back to your hood and then, you know, you, you assay it and you do a few tests to make sure that aluminum didn't get, get in because there's an aluminum column in the generator. So you want to do a test for that. And you want to check to, to make sure that Molly, the mother, didn't a lot of it didn't come through. You want to check that ratio, make sure it's low, um, because you don't want Molly. Molly has a really long half life, and so if you get too much of it, then the patient winds up getting too much Molly in their body and stays in there longer, compared to the daughter, which has a six-hour half life. And basically, all that means is um, let's let, let's just use the example of technetium. Technetium has a six-hour half life, so that means at noon, if I have um, 100 millicuries, and millicuries are the units, unlike milligrams or grams for, for our tablets. Um, it, millicuries are the units. If I have 100 millicuries of technetium at noon with a six-hour half-life, that means every six hours that activity decreases by half. Make sense? So that yeah. means at noon, if I have 100 millicuries, that means at 6 o'clock, at 6 p.m., I will have 50 millicuries. That means at midnight, I will have 25 millicuries, and so on and so forth. So it decays at a quicker rate. Then Molly, which has, I think, what, what is the half-life of Molly? Is it 90-something years or hours? I don't even remember. I have to look that one up now. Um, but, but basically, every isotope has its own half-life. And so you just, based on its half-life, you have short-lived and you have long-lived. So you just have to know um, what it is and, and then how to decay it. Make sense? Yes. Okay. So let's go back to when you say Molly and you yeah. mentioned that as the mother, that that is the short for what? what L Molybdenum. 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 Okay. Molybdenum. Yeah. It's M-O-L-Y-B-D-E-N-U-M. Molybdenum. So when you say, you know, it has a half-life that's longer than the daughter, mm -hmm. which is, I don't know what the daughter is. Technetium. Um, is the, so the daughter is technetium. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Like, are you taking Molly and then somehow so, allowing her to decay? Like, so, what is that process? Yeah. So when, as, as Molly decays, it gives off technetium 99M and technetium 99. So it's, it's the decay. So again, with radioactivity, everything is about decay. It's the, the electrons and where, where they're sitting and they're constantly rapidly moving. And then I, I'm telling you, it's incredible. Like you, you study the stuff and you're like, wait, we were doing electrons moving from valence to, to from shell to shell. And that, that meant something, but it, it, it right. does. This is like um, chemistry. Like, one. Like this is back to yeah. chemistry class. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I mean, it, it's all about the electrons and what's happening with them. And I, it, it's incredible. I, I can't even begin to break all that down right now. But as molybdenum decays, it gives off technetium 99M. That's important because technetium 99M, the metastable, is what you want to tag with your drugs. And then it also, gives off, it also gives off technetium 99. And then over time as well, as technetium 99M is decaying, it's also giving off technetium 99. So what that means is you want to use your fresh elutions to compound your kits because then you have more of the version of technetium 99M that you want to tag your kits. Make got sense. it yeah, yeah so, and, and so it's mommy because mommy's literally giving birth to these two, <laughs> two got two it technetium. so then yeah. the technetium the technetium 99m that you've given yes. birth to that molly has given birth to yes. is what essentially will be used as a diagnostic agent for your patients or is yes. it more decaying over yes that? so that's what you use you can use it on its own if you're checking on thyroid it has its own functions if you're checking 
um, GI bleed, you can use it on its own. You can use it on its own also for thyroid to check for thyroid function. Um, but that's the main thing that we use to tag drugs. So we, we take that and we will tag a drug that we call albumin um, aggregated particles. These are protein particles. And so what they do is they go into your lungs and, and they check for an embolism. So just, give, just to give you a visual, say somebody has a, a clot in their lung and they go in, they're short of breath, doctor orders a stat uh, lung set. So they get MAA, we call it MAA for short, but it's albumin aggregated particles. They, they get the MAA. What that does is we tag that drug, that MAA, it's set to go in the lungs because that's what the ligand, it, it's set to go in the lungs. So we tag that technetium with the MAA right? So you've got cold kit because these drugs come and they're not radioactive. You've just got the, the, the powder in the vial, right? With, with, mm -hmm. with the drug that's in there. And then you tag it now with radioactive technetium M. And then you, you draw the specific activity that they want at a specific time. Again, because it's so time dependent when somebody orders a dose at a specific time, you have to get it to them at that time because it's decaying. So if you're late, right. if you're like an hour late, that, that, that six millicurie at, you know, seven o'clock, it's not going to be six millicurie at seven o'clock. If you show up at eight o'clock, that six millicurie is going to have decayed by an hour. Make sense? Yeah. So they'll have less than six. So it's so time dependent in that sense. So, but once they get it and you inject the patient, those particles go straight for the lungs. And so if there is a clot, if there is a clot that, that's blocking right there, what happens is, the particles will, will spread where there's no blockage and the ones that come where the block is, they don't move past that block. So when you take images, radiation is coming from everywhere else except from past where that clot is. So then they can see, oh, there's a clot there because we didn't see any uh, radioactivity past this point because we didn't get any, um, when we got images, there was no radiation coming off from past this point. Make sense? It so makes it's a, sense. It's really cool in that way. So and then we have one that we, we dispense as an injection, but it's, aerosol, it's put in an aerosol and you inhale it and that one checks your ventilation. So, so it's, it's kind of interesting. You just, you know, like learning, like I said, once you know your drugs, it, you know, there's just not that many of them. And, and even when they're developing new ones, they don't come out as rapidly as, as they do. Got it. So can I yeah. ask this question? And this, yeah. Yeah, so are you dealing with the same elements over and over again, or are there new elements? Because that's a different part of the whole, like the drug part, when you're talking about the yeah. um, albumin aggregated particles or the MM, what do you call it? MAA. MAA. Yeah, MAA. Um, yeah. So that is specifically for the lungs. Like, yes. How many drugs are there in general? And then how many elements are there? Or is there like a variation that of a lot? So the elements that we actually handle right now um i would say um i take a guess because i'd have to think about it and then count maybe around six or seven right but the drugs themselves you've you've got mm, maybe somewhere around 10 or 14 okay so again still not as big a list right because you when we talk about the drugs these are cold kits that we get these are drugs and vials that are ready to be compounded but the, the radioactive element, you know, you've got xenon, which is also used for checking for, for ventilation in the lungs. You've got iodine-131, like I said, which is for thyroid. Also iodine-123. You know, so those, those are, the, you know, gallium, which is used for infections. Those are, the, ele those are the, the elements that you find in the periodic table. But we use technetium to compound these other drugs. Make sense? And we have indium, which we use sometimes, and, and tag bloods, because 
we can do that as well. We, we have a blood drawn and, you know, that'll get tagged. And, you know, again, you're, you're tagging the white blood cells, which of course, you know what they do, go to the area of infection. So when you tag them with the radioactive material, they go to the area of infection. Then you can see, ah, this is where the radiation is coming off because the infection is localized at this point. So, you know, again, set number of elements and set number of drugs. So they don't change. Your drugs are your drugs. And they're the same drugs that we order over and over and over again because these are the same tests that the doctors order over and over again, you know, to check for the heart, you know, and, and the lungs and the gallbladder or the liver, you know, just like that. So like I said, really small number of drugs to know and gives you an opportunity to really master and, you know, really be, be good at. Yeah. Thank you so, for sharing that. Yeah. So, so anyway, just to continue with the whole hood thing. So <laughs> L block in front of you, which is, you know, it keeps you shielded from radiation. So every manipulation is done in the hood. So again, this is the pharmacist coming in opening shift starting at 11 PM and they work to somewhere around 6 AM or 7 AM. That's the, the next point at which the second pharmacist comes in. So your, your night pharmacist spends a lot of time making tons of kits and then the technicians will draw um, the doses up. Uh, next pharmacist comes in from 6 a.m. or 7 a.m., just depending on the day or the number of pharmacists on duty. And they work somewhere to, from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. And then the last pharmacist comes in from 11 a.m. or 12 p.m. And then they work to 7, 8, 7 p.m. You know, so you just kind of cover the whole shift. And so different things are happening. So usually with, with the opening shift, like I said, it's the busiest shift because you just have to send out a bunch of doses. You just have to spend your time making a lot of kits. And so you really have to be good at it. You really have to understand um, how to prep the kits. You have to understand how to do the calculations for the kits. You have to, I mean, you, once you, but once you understand it, it's easy. But the thing I learned is, you know, not everyone finds it as easy, you know, to get, you know, because, I, unfortunately, I went through my AU program, and there was one lady. She struggled so much; she she could not understand or wrap her mind around. You know, you you've got to have a time reference point, then you got to decay. How to decay back and forth like that stuff can trip you up. But once you get it, I mean, it's it's so enjoyable, and I love math. So all day I can just look at that stuff, and you know, you go. I mean, once you get it, it's just it's just it's incredible. Um, but so mid shift usually is is busy compounding iodines, um, busy taking uh, same day orders. So when the technologists come in, any outpatients that come in, any emergency cases, what have you, they just constantly call in and they, they need material, you know, same day. So that's what you're usually busy doing, sending out same day orders. And so you just stay busy that way. Um, and then the closing shift worries about inventory for the next day, taking orders for the next day, because um, that's the other thing you're doing between um, preparing for the day is people still call in and they're putting in the orders for the next day. That way you have a you have a chance. You know, it's not like retail where people come and drop it off and say, I'm going to wait 15 minutes, right? So <laughs> right. you get a chance to to enter the orders, verify them, do double checks, make sure you have the drugs in stock, order them if you need to, um, you know, get your materials in stock. So that's really what the closing shift does. And then once the once the phones roll over after hours, then you're on call. So yeah. we're never really closed as such. Like you don't just get to go home and forget about work when you're on call. Because then when you get called for a stat, you know, you got to run right back, drive right back to the pharmacy. So, okay. So let me, yeah. you, well, let's, let's talk about a couple things here because you mentioned a lot. Um, yeah. So in terms of the 
the time it takes to compound these drugs mm-hmm. and elements, how long does that take? Because if you get a stat case, like they're looking at somebody who has a massive PE, right. I mean, maybe they, they're not going to get a diet. I don't know if they're going to get a diagnostic test right away, but like, I guess, yeah. What does that look like? Do you get those yeah. calls and, and how long do you guys have, or what time do you guys have to compound those elements? Yeah. Into- yeah. Great, great question. So, um, depending on the kid, some go, some go quicker than others. Right. But here's the thing to know. Um, once you make a kit, it's good for multiple draws, right. Until you run out or until the kit expires or until the kit is insufficient to fulfill the order that you need to. So for instance, um, there's a, there's a certain amount of activity that you cannot exceed for each kit. Each kit has its own, um, you know, maximum activity to, to, uh, compound with. Correct. So say you compound a kit, and orders keep coming in for that same drug, you get to draw out of that same kit, right? So in that sense, you're not constantly making kits. So for instance, we have this one for, for the heart. Um, you get to put about 2,400 millicuries in it, and then the doses go, you, you get rest and stress doses. Um, so you get a 10 millicurie rest and a, a 30 millicurie stress, and they're calibrated at a certain time. So that kit will last you a long time, right? Because you're not drawing out all of your activity at the same time. Does that make sense? What's a long so not, time? Hours, days? No, 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 not days. We're, we're always talking within the same day because, okay, here's the thing. Um, the kids, if you're in a clean room, your kids are good for 18 hours. If you're not in a clean room, your kids are good for 12 hours, right? So that's the first thing you know. So every kid has to be made each day. Like it, for whatever orders we have, you have to make kids that day then you just have to know what is the expiration for this kid. Some kids have six hour expirations. Some kids have eight hour expirations. Some have 12. And, and when you're in a clean room, most have 18, but there's still some that will have six hours just because of um, tagging and breakdown after compounding. So, you know, with something like MAA, for instance, as soon as you put the right amount of activity in that kit, usually somewhere, and again, depending on the time, MAA, MAA is a really interesting one because you have to give the right amount of particles, right? Like that's particle dependent. It's not, act, it's not, it's activity dependent, but it's more so particle dependent because you're, if you give too many particles, they can go and clog up those, those arterials, right? And you can kill somebody, mm-hmm. right? So you, you have to be able to know how to do the math on that and make sure that you're giving the right amount of activity with the right amount of particles. But once you put that activity, once you inject the activity in the kit and you swirl, get everything all mixed up and you draw your dose, all you do is you put it in a shield and it's ready to be wrapped and packed so to get out the door. So the time it takes to actually get a stat dose out is really not that long. What takes long is getting it delivered, the drive time, right? Mm. So, so yeah, because you don't have patients showing up to your establishment ready to pick up their, their medicine. This has to go in a vehicle and be delivered to a hospital. And so you're dealing with things like traffic, you know, and so you've got doctors and technologists who are waiting for those meds and if it's that, you know, they want it right now, you know, cause it's an emergency. And so that's really your bottleneck. Cause unfortunately we're in a very busy area. So traffic can be, you know, an issue sometimes or rush hour if they need something during rush hour. But as far as the kit itself, um, once you, once you prep a kit, um, and it's, and, and somebody orders anything that's within, within the, the time frame of that kit. So the kit has not expired. So, so if a kid is going to expire 1400 hours and they want something at 30 calibrated at 1300, you can draw out of that kit. So long as you have enough activity. Makes Got sense. It. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so then in terms of delivering and, and repackaging, you mentioned a shield. What is a shield? So whenever you handle any radioactive material in the pharmacy, you have to have a lead shield for it. So if I'm, it, when you're working in the, in the uh, laminar hood, there's an L block that's made of lead. So it shields you from your manipulations within the hood, right? It, it, it shields your, ma- your mid-frame, your body right? Because it's as wide as your body and it shields you from that. If you're handling a vial, it has to be in a lead shield. If you're prepping a kit, it has to be in a lead shield. So when I say shield, it's everything lead that can fit whatever radioactive material you're handling. For our syringes, once you draw, once you, when you're drawing a syringe, you're using a syringe shield. Make sense? So you don't just handle the syringe in your bare hand and then draw radioactive material into it because that's massive exposure. You put it, you insert your syringe into a syringe shield which is a lead shield, and then you draw your dose. And once you're, do- once you're done doing that, you use tongs to move it from your uh, syringe shield into your dose calibrator. Your dose calibrator is the equipment that will measure. It measures the activity that's within the syringe that you've drawn, right? And then you use your tongs again to move it into a pig, which, is, which also is in line with lead, and that's a shield for that radioactive dose. So shielding is the terminology we use for detection we provide for ourselves by, you know, covering up whatever we're handling that is radioactive. Got it. Got it. Got it. So you talk about doing calculations and having someone double check your calculations. Who is double checking your calculations? How do you guys ensure that in this environment you're minimizing any mistakes because i like as you mentioned a mistake can be very detrimental to a patient right yes Um, yes so so what does that look like let's think about it this way you if you're working at midnight right or let's just say you start prepping kits at 2 a.m you're preparing kits for doses to be drawn and dispensed that are calibrated at 10 a.m 9 a.m 8 a.m 7 a.m you know 11 a.m different times so Again, you have to know how much activity you have to put in each kit and, and how much volume you can put in that kit. Once you know that and you, and you complete that and you actually make the kit, you pass it along and the technicians draw it. The way that you know that you've done something wrong is if the technician goes to scan their kit because everything, you get a label for everything so each, you can identify each drug once you've prepped it. Um, so once the, once the technician scans their drug, and if, if they're told what volume to draw, because once you've put everything into the computer, you tell the computer, I'm going to make a DTPA, uh, that's pentatate, which is used for uh, lung ventilation. If you say, I'm going to make pentatate, and I'm going to put 500 millicuries in this, and I'm going to make it a final volume of 5 ml. So that means 100 millicuries per ml, because you've got 500 millicuries in 5 ml, 500 millicuries divided by 5 ml, that's 100 millicuries per ml, right? So if the technician goes to draw it and they need to draw a dose and it tells them that the, that the, they should draw a volume of 1.5 ml and then they draw 1.5 ml, but it doesn't give them the exact activity that, you know, it's, it's telling them to, then wait, something is really off here. But this doesn't seem right. Does that make sense? So you, you know something is wrong even as you draw the dose. So right. if everything is okay, once you tell the computer, this is the activity I've put in, this is the volume I've put in, when they scan the kit, for each dose that they have to draw, the computer is already telling them, draw this amount of volume to get this amount of activity for this particular time. So that oh, if yeah. they go to draw it and it is really off, then you know something is wrong. Either you've mislabeled the kit, right? Or you, you, know, you prepped the wrong thing. <laughs> so <laughs> you'll know like that before they go too right. far. Yeah. 
Okay. And in terms of, the, and, and I'm just going to, so when you're talking about the measurement, you, are you saying militaries or what are you saying? How do we, do you, have you ever heard of Marie Curie? Yes. Units were actually named after her. Curie. Oh, I so had no. Curie. So instead of milliliters, millicurie. Millicurie. So, millicurie. Yes. So it's like, oh. instead of ML, it's MCI. So Curie is capital C-I. Those are the units for Curie. Okay. Military is M, small letter M, capital C, I. So those are the units we use, right? So okay. when you have when you have a thousand militaries, that's one curie. I see. I'm looking this up right now. This is interesting. This is I've never heard of this. This is incredible. Yeah. So she, she discovered it, so it was named for her, <laughs> Marie wow. Curie. Yeah, she died. I from love radiation. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you said she died from what? radiation poison because she wasn't aware of shielding protecting herself from the oh. radiation she just handled it you know just without any protection so yeah she, she poisoning yeah great that you mentioned that i actually want to get into that about protecting yourselves um yeah. especially for women in terms especially for women and women of childbearing age and women right. that are pregnant a right. can a pregnant woman work in a nuclear pharmacy Absolutely. I've been pregnant three times working in a so, nuclear pharmacy. So how does that look for, from, a, is it the same protection? Do you have added protection? Did you feel protected? How much radiation? You mentioned there was a small amount of radiation that you're exposed to. Um, right. Maybe shed some light on that. Yeah. So, I mean, your, your main, um, first of all, knowledge is the first thing that protects you. Time, distance, shielding. You have to know about it and you have to put it into practice. So time, what does that mean? Don't stand around radioactive material for too long. Don't spend too much time around it. Distance, just walking away decreases your exposure twice, you know, or, or four times as much, literally, depending on the distance that you give, you know, between yourself and, and radioactive material. That's why you use anything that gives you distance of tongs instead of handling it with your hands, moving a syringe between your, your shield and your dose calibrator, you use tongs, provide distance, and then shielding using your lead. So these three components are your first bits of knowledge that you need to apply whenever you are in a restricted area um in in the pharmacy the second thing is which i feel to mention is whenever you walk into the restricted area you are mandated to put on uh rings and a body bag and what that does is it measures every little bit of exposure that you get and those are red depending on um the personnel weekly uh bi-weekly or monthly so if you're pregnant you can request to have more frequent readings um, but when with my pregnancies i just stuck to monthly um, when you're pregnant, you have the choice to declare your pregnancy or not declare your pregnancy. If you do not declare your pregnancy, the added measures will not be provided to you. You will be treated just as a, an employee who is not expecting. When you declare your pregnancy, then they will provide you a fetal badge. And what, that, what that means is you get an additional badge, additional body badge. You clip that over your midsection where, where the baby is, and then um, you, you get that monitored. And mine was always very minimal um, because again that that portion is directly behind the l block the, the lead shield with whatever manipulations right and the manipulations are right in front of the l block because you're not working to the side of you you're working to the center of you so your radiation is right there and you're shielded your body is shielded from the radiation and which is why you have to have the rings because your hands are what are doing the manipulation and so those numbers are monitored and you have your numbers that you should not exceed for your extremities and for your body badge. Makes sense? Yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. And I, so, um, did, you, did you declare your pregnancy 
when you were pregnant when you found I out you were pregnant did. i did all three times i did um just is there a reason why people would not you know i mean people if, if you know because i almost didn't because i have confidence in what i'm doing but i was like you just never know it's just better to be safe than sorry i don't think it's I don't think it's a sense of carelessness. I just think when people know what they're doing and they're comfortable and they're aware, um, you know, then, then they don't, they don't think that it's necessary, you know, like they know that they're going to work to the end and they don't need any variations in their, in their working. Well, one thing I would say is for a pregnant woman, which is one thing I was very grateful for in my previous job, one of my colleagues was so considerate because when you're pregnant, um, you actually absorb um, the sodium iodide a lot more. Because I-131, which we use for thyroid, with thyroid patients with thyroid cancer, if you're doing an ablation, you give them a high dose, it easily can get into, into the area. It's so volatile, right? So I, I had a face mask on when I would compound that. That's one thing I would say a woman who's pregnant, who's working in that environment should, should kind of keep out of. But my colleague was so grateful during my entire pregnancy, he, he, he didn't let me compound any iodine caps. He always did it around me. So if there were orders from the day before, he would get them done. Or if there were any orders that he could come in and do that, that he would say, just leave them for me. So he showed me that courtesy and that was incredible just to protect me. What but, an incredible colleague. Yeah. But, yeah. I did compound some, but I never had any issues because I would wear a face mask. Because uh, that's another, like I mentioned, remember when I said, when you garb, you have the face mask on, your, your, your cap and then your booties, and then you, you wash your hands and put it on your gown. So I had the face mask on when I would, when I would compound there. And so... I never had any, any issues, but you also do have, um, like your tablets to take if you accidentally got exposed just to kind of mitigate the thyroid getting absorbed in your, um, the iodine getting absorbed into your thyroid gland. So there's protection on site, but better safe than sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And so then in terms of daily practices for like order verification and people placing their orders and then having, you know, the couriers, I'm assuming, come and and pick up these radioactive activities to deliver Mm -hmm. to different practice sites. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you guys have in place, like, regularly? Are there, do you have, like, partners that are always using you? And and is this order verification electronic? Like, how does that look? Yeah, so, so at the site where I currently am, most of our orders come in by phone. So we take verbal orders and transform them into uh, written orders. And then we get web orders and we get faxes. Uh, so I think there's, you guys get web orders or, or do you know if there, there's web ordering with a retail? I'm not sure. And what does a web order mean? Because I, I my hunch is no, we get electronic yeah. orders through a system. <laughs> so electronic, electronic, right? So it comes through electronically. Yeah, um, we do get yeah, those. We, yeah, we call it, we call it web orders, but yeah, it's 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 always best when the customer can put in a web order because they can see what they what they have coming out. They can make any changes if they need to. They can make any corrections. When they give us a verbal order, we put it in, right? And then um, unfortunately, you have some you have cases where sometimes you might get a verbal order, and then you put it in, and the customer says, "No, that's not what I wanted." And so the question is, okay, was it given to us correctly, or did we just not put in the correct thing? So it's, it's always best when the customer can put in their own orders. And then um, a lot of times, you know, with, with the double checks, what we do is if the, if the order comes in via web, we will go through the orders the first time and then accept them. Once all the orders are in, whether it came through by phone, by web, by fax, and it's typed in, 
we still go through everything in order to make sure that the doses are correct, you know, calibration times are, are correct, like no funky calibration times like 1 a.m. That's not possible. We're not delivering to anybody by, by at 1 a.m. for a scheduled run. Uh, it would have to be a stat, right? Because mm-hmm. that's not normal business hour for them. Make sense? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, 1 a.m. is business hour for us. It's not business hour for them. Um, sometimes you find like um, a one millicurie dose against uh, a, a drug that you know this, that's not the normal dose for it, right? So you call them and you and you check and you make sure, um, things like that. Um, but the way we go through double checks is we print out all the orders for the next day and then we, we grab our written orders and then we verbally um, have, we'll have a, a, another uh, colleague read out, you know, the, the we'll call, we'll call, uh, we'll call the name of one of our customers and we'll have them go through all the orders and we'll, we'll physically check it off on the written orders make sense yeah so that way that way we're sure that what was what was called in what was tightened matches what was printed and believe me it's amazing how many things you find where it's like oh wait you, you didn't say this this was no it's not in the printed one okay we missed it we didn't type it right oh, because there's sure so yeah there's so many who's um, actually doing the transcribing we do the we pharmacists do. or the technicians the pharmacists the pharmacists yeah okay so yeah, we do. And, um, you know, and then, and then when we're doing the double checks, we're like, boy, man, how do, cause it's busy, you know, it's busy. You, the phones don't stop ringing. It's really busy. And so you're, you're, as soon as you take an order, you, you type it in and you don't double check it at that point because you're like, you've got to go to the next thing. Cause you know, you're going to double check it at the end of the shift. And so it, that's why we appreciate the double check because you, you can put it in order and think you, you put it in right, but your mind may have been on something else and you could have, you know, like you, you could have wanted to put in Mertiotide, but then you put in Medronate, you know, like some of them are similar sounding, similar spelling. <laughs> and then you wind up choosing the wrong one. And you're like, okay, well, grateful for double checks, you know. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's so that way, yeah, we'd, we'd really do that, try to minimize because there's not, you know, like I said, there's nothing worse than when a customer calls you in the morning and says, you sent me the wrong stuff. And then you got to start hustling now to get you know, your drivers out on the road, you know, to get them the right, the right stuff. It's so stressful. I, I, there's nothing more stressful than that. So we want to get it right from the beginning. And then, you know, and then, and then, you know, some, some other things include logistics, you know, cause you have customers who are far away. Um, and just to clarify, we do have staff drivers. So we have our own drivers and we do use couriers if we're like running short. Uh, but we have drivers on staff that we use to to take the runs. So you have your own drivers, yeah. and do you have dedicated clinics that you serve? Or we do, okay. yeah. So we, yeah, they're contracts, so we have contracts with them. So we're with with the same customers. So then you get to know your customers. You get to know what they want, what they order. The other thing to know, which is kind of interesting, you don't necessarily think about it in a practice like retail, because because of the distance of the customers and of course radiation with the decay and time and everything, you have to take distance into account. So like, and and the and the kit expiration. So for instance, we have a kit that expires at, uh, at, at eight hours, right? It's only good for eight hours. And so when a customer orders a kit and you know, they're, they're a far away customer, they order a dose at 11.30, but they're set, their doses are set to leave the lab at 3.30, right? So I have to make that kit at 4.30 so that, because if I make it at 3.30, it'll expire at 11.30, but that's, mm-hmm. what they, that's what time they want it for. So I can't give them the dose when it's going to expire. Make sense? Right. So I have to give them an hour leeway, so I have to make that kit at 4.30. 
So, so you have to prepare for another driver to, to go out there a second time. So you have the normal run leave at 3.30, and then you have to have another driver be ready to go at some point. Maybe you can tag it on with another run or whatever, but you've got to get another driver to take out that particular dose, which, because the kid, the kid has to be made after the run, the normal run leaves for that, for that customer. It. Those are things that you have to pay attention to when you're the closing pharmacist, you know, so that they don't run into uh, problems in the morning. So, so let me ask you this, for your customer's sake, how do they know if a kit has arrived to them and it's already expired? Because I imagine you guys are labeling this, um, but right. you know, what if there's really heavy traffic that you guys didn't anticipate or there's right. like an accident on the road? Does the driver know to call you guys? Does he just turn around? Like, how do they know when those kits are expiring? And if that happens, what right. do you guys have in place? Yeah. So the, the, the drivers know to call us, call us if they're running behind. If we were dispensing a dose and the driver was, and it was close to expiration time, you know, within that one hour period and the driver was running behind, what we would do is just make another kid, get it drawn, send another driver out. If we know that one's not going to make it in time, then we call the customer and let the customer know. The other thing is the way the customers would know is on every single prescription label, because when they get their doses, they get it with, with the prescription label. You have the calibration time and you have the expiration time. So they have all that information on the script. So all they would literally, literally have to look, do was to look at it and go, okay, wait, this came in too late. Um, I can't use this. Send me another one because this is, you know, or like if the patient comes in late. Because it rarely happens that we send them stuff that is expired on them. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that rarely happens because... By the time they're ordering something for the afternoon, we've already had another kit made later, which means an extended expiration. Make sense? Because yeah. when the second pharmacist comes in at six o'clock, they're making second run material. So they're making more kits at that point. And it usually winds up being all the kits. So you make kits at 6 a.m. They're going to expire at 6 p.m. Compared to the pharmacist who came in and was making kits at 2 a.m. where they'll expire at 2 p.m. So that's we, we don't run into that issue where we're running late and then the kid is going to expire when we're running late it's usually more about oh they're going to get less activity than they wanted and sometimes they're not okay with using that so then we will draw another dose and send it out and calibrate it later right so that they have what they need at the time that that they would get it nice thank you for explaining that a couple questions i have before we wrap up here yeah. How many pharmacists do you have per shift? So it's usually one pharmacist per shift. Um, when we have two, it will be during the day. We only need one at night um, to do all the compounding and, and prepping. Um, ideally, it's good to have two in the middle of the day between that 6 and 12 p.m. time because we're slammed with uh, blood orders and stat orders and iodine orders. You know, So there's a lot more happening for same-day needs. So between those orders and needing verification so that we're not typing up the wrong thing and not sending out the wrong thing, we need two pharmacists during the day. So that's, that's when that happens. Yeah. But um, yeah, unfortunately right now it's just myself and another colleague. Um, and so it's, it's kind of tough, but we're hanging in there. So and how many technicians or interns do you need? And, and if I was a student right now and I'm like, hmm, this is really interesting. I want to potentially pursue a career in nuclear pharmacy. Yeah. What do they need? How can they, re like, I guess, how can they begin that track? Yeah. So very, very easy. We, we do have three technicians right now. We're actually in line to hire a fourth. Um, if you want to get into a nuclear pharmacy, nobody ever turns away free labor. I'll tell you that right now. 
Um, but you don't have to come in and work. You can come in and observe all the live long day. Um, if you want to come in as a pharmacy student, of course, I'm sure you're registered. If you, in the state of Texas, I think most would have been registered with the state already as an intern, the way the uh, state of Texas has it set up. Um, but you can come in and um, my colleague is a preceptor. I have not, like I said, I only started in September. I have not pursued a preceptor license here yet. But you can absolutely come in and shadow. You can come in and observe. All it takes is a phone call and just, you know, let us know. And we'll be more than happy to have you come in, observe, you know, <laughs> shadow the pharmacist all the live long day. Um, and if you wanted to get your hands dirty, uh, we'll be more than happy to. I should mention, though, that um, before you ever start working in the hood, you have to pass your aseptic test. Um, and that's, it's, it's just testing your aseptic technique. And basically you go through the same manipulations you would go through as if you were prepping kits, but you're using um, media, like growth media. So that if, if there is anything that you, if there's any manipulation that uh, wound up contaminating the, the process, then there'll be bacterial growth. And then, you know, okay, whoops. I wasn't as, I didn't use proper aseptic technique. So you must pass your um, aseptic technique before you ever get to working in the hood, whether you're drawing doses or prepping kits. So that would be the only delay with somebody thinking, oh, I could come in and maybe just start working in the hood. Nope, you'd have to go through um, aseptic technique before you, you would ever be allowed to go near a hood. But you can observe all the live long day. That's great information. Yeah. In terms of aseptic technique training, I'm imagining USP 797 would Absolutely. be a good resource, or would it be 800 at this point? 797 would, would be for the manipulations, because only hazardous material we have is are the bloods. We don't do like chemo-related drugs and things like that. So okay. yeah, so it would be 797, just know what to expect and, and what to do. And plus, we also have our guidelines, because we have to tests as well twice a year so we we already have the guidelines and you know you could just read through that walk through it see what's expected of you and um and then go through it yeah but we're, we're more than happy to have anyone um, come through that's awesome judith thank you and that leads me to my final question what yeah. is your go-to resource as a nuclear pharmacist um honestly purdue no lie uh, Purdue is really great. Um, they do have the Journal of Nuclear Medicine. That's a good one too, but um, really short and sweet, Purdue. And that's why I do my CEs as well. They're really, really great. Wonderful. Where can people connect with you if they want to reach out to you or learn more about your particular institution or shadow yourself and another pharmacist there at your branch? Yeah, yeah. So um, I can provide my work email. I don't, I'm not a Facebooker or I don't do social media like that. That's why I'm so technologically <laughs> illiterate. Um, I, I'm happy to provide my work email um, for anyone who's, who's in the area. We actually do have a student who works for us on the weekend right now. So it's, it's um, you know, we're, we're really, we welcome that, that sort of um, stuff. And, and we're, once he's done with school, he's ready to like, you know, train and everything. Cause he's like, oh, I love nuclear. There's no way I'm doing retail. So he's all in, <laughs> like he's, he's gotten the juice. <laughs> He's all in. Yeah. That's wonderful. So, um, yeah, so I, can, I can give you my work email for that. Sure. I will uh, include that in the show notes. And then, and also, if you could help us with some pictures so we can visualize yeah, what yeah, the setting looks like, I will include that for folks that sign up to 
with my email list. One last question. I know I, I always say this and I always <laughs> then I have like all these other questions that come up. Yeah. When you took that personality quiz that was geared towards pharmacy, figuring out what pharmacy career suited you best based on your personality. Yeah. What thinking back to that quiz that you took, and maybe you don't remember the specific questions, but what about your personality matches the personality that someone would be would have to be, yeah. you know, inclined to become a nuclear pharmacist? Like, yeah. did, did you specifically like chemistry when you were in school, or what? What is it about your personality that that made nuclear pharmacist the number one pick for you? I did like chemistry, but I don't remember that specific aspect being in the quiz. Um, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I prefer more of a, a small, intimate setting without customers in my face, um, because that's what nuclear is. It really is a, a small, intimate setting. When when that pharmacist is working at night, you only have like your two or three technicians, and then a dispatcher who's wrapping, packing, and then drivers just come and go. You're not surrounded. It's not it's not a huge crew. You know what I mean? So if anything, you see more people during the day as they just come and go. So I, I like that. I like that, you know, you you get to just come in, work. I, I get to put my earphones on. Like, you can't do that in retail. <laughs> you know, I get to put my earphones on and listen to whatever I'm doing as I'm prepping kits and just busy in the morning. Of course, I'm paying attention to what's going on because it's low enough that I can hear if anybody says anything. But you still you still get to you get to be in a relaxed environment. It's, you have your intense periods, but you get to get your downtime, you know? And so it's not constantly, you know, well, and I think the other aspect is things aren't changing on you in a whim. You know what I mean? Like, that's why my, my sister's, um, she's out in Rhode Island finishing out a fellowship. Um, she's an MD and she loves that ER stuff. And I'm like, you're crazy. Um, because I don't like that. I don't like things changing on me rapidly. I want steady state. Like it's the same things I'm dealing with. So I think that was the other key thing. Um, you don't want things, you know, that's why I can't deal with like the new drugs coming out. Like, I'm like, dude, I didn't even process the ones that you just gave me. Like, <laughs> just give me a second. Okay. You know, I can't like, so that's what I mean. it when I say kudos to you, because I can tell like you thrive on that stuff. Like I thrive on being competent at the same things, you know, where when something changes, it's not so rapid you know, cause that's, that's just my temperament. Like I, I prefer low key and I don't want rapid changes. So I think those aspects were along the lines of, of the questioning, but you know, to be very honest with you, I think a lot of people, not, well, I don't, I shouldn't say a lot of people, a few people that I've talked to, they really want out of retail and they want out of hospital and they want out of where they are. And they're, they're wishing that they could come into nuclear because it is quite laid back, you know, like you, you are, you're not on your feet all day. You can actually sit at your desk sometimes <laughs> and do work. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You may not have a set time for lunch, but you can come to your desk multiple times and nibble on what you need to nibble on and still get work done. Like it, you know, like I said, it's intense periods of work and then there's downtime where you can actually do stuff. And so, you know, I just, I love that. It, it just works. It just works for me. And, you know, again, closed door, so you're, you don't have customers yelling at you in your face. Um, if we have upset, upset technologists in the hospitals, that's understandable. It's manageable, but it's not a constant, you know, revolving door of complaints and all that extra stuff to deal with. It's just right. a few people to deal with. And then, yeah, it just, it makes it, makes it that much better. Yeah.
That's great to know. And so thank you. I mean, I, I appreciate you coming on and shedding some light about the you know nuclear pharmacy. Again, that's something that um, we don't often hear a lot about um, in school and then also in just in a general conversational setting. I don't think a lot of people can speak to it because they haven't had that experience. Right. Um, so I appreciate you being, being willing to share your journey through pharmacy. One last question. I keep saying that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> COVID-19. Awesome. COVID-19 yes. is here. And yes. we, in terms of, you know, in my setting, again, I'm kind of like in a specialized kind of role at this moment. I'm like partly hospital, but I'm also a specialty manager. And then also that's forward facing to, right. you know, different people. So we, we're making a lot of changes to our practices because of COVID-19. Lots of things in terms of just having backup staff, um, preparing to have our increase our inventory so that we can service our patients. Right. Um, what are you guys doing from an, in, in a nuclear pharmacy to prepare for COVID or, or does anything change for you? I mean, I think the the only thing I've seen change is, is not is not as busy as it's normally been. It's busy, but just not as not as busy. And we're getting, you know, for like the outpatients who normally would maybe get like a their blood tagged for for an infection check, they're canceling on those. So we're not we're not we're not hitting the same numbers, but we're good. We're still steady, you know. But internally, I mean, it's just really protecting ourselves. You know, show up to work, and then we we clean our own surfaces and and things like that. So there's not really. And it's just like I said, it's it's closed door. It's the same people that come in. Like unless you're going out of the country, or unless you go expose yourself somewhere. If you're sick, let us know. That kind of thing. Um, beyond that, there's just, you know what I mean. Like there there are really no extra measures. We we have face masks on site, and they're provided to the drivers if they if they feel they need it because they are the ones going out to the hospitals. Um, hand sanitizers provided so that everyone can can use that as frequently as they need to. But other than that, staffing wise, there's there's no changes, you know, we're hiring who we're already hiring for and people who are wanting to leave are leaving for their, you know, different reasons if they're leaving. So it's not, it's not, we're, we're more, we're more just seeing people reacting from the personal perspective, you know, concern for their family, not traveling because they don't want to get, you know, go and get stuck somewhere. So that's, that's really more what it's, what it's like for us. It's not, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's near to the level of what you you might be experiencing, you know, because we're not open to the public. So it's it's just us. And so we're just more conscious of wiping down our door handles or phones and things like that, you know, right. as opposed to the way the way things used to be. Yeah. Got it. Well, yeah. thank you for sharing and, and thank yeah. you again for joining us today. We really, yeah. I really appreciate it because I've learned a lot about the nuclear <laughs> medicine that I had, I had no clue. I didn't even know that you guys had different measuring units. So that's something yeah. that you learned from the Yeah, day. yeah. Um, and, and could I just add for, um, you know, any of the students who care to, I think this is advice I would have honestly, I would use the word kill for but of course I'm just exaggerating, but I would have really appreciated it when I was graduating from school. Um, I think that, especially in this day and age with how difficult it can be to find work and, you know, just finding where you, you know, what, what branch you want to work in, let alone finding a job within that branch. I think the thing to focus on once you graduate, um, and if you're fortunate enough to get a job is get yourself out of debt. 
and I, and I went through your, your website. Um, and I really love that you already interviewed another pharmacist who, you know, did the whole get out of debt in three years thing. Like that's incredible. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really, really advocate for anybody who really wants to enjoy their career. I mean, you've got to free yourself from those, from the bonds of debt (laughs) as quickly as possible (laughs) before you like settle into anything. Just, just hunker down somewhere and just live as simply as possible and go nuts paying off that debt and then be free of it in a short period of time. I'm telling you, that time will go by so fast. You can do it in a year, two years, three years, if you're, depending on how serious you are about it. And it'll go by so fast. And then, and then you can really, you know, really enjoy your career. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for that. I, honestly, thank you. I think some yeah. people are still working on there. So that, that I'll leave it at that. But thank yeah. you very much for sharing that. That's that's actually advice I wish I had when yeah. I first came out. So I think <laughs> part of, you know, me establishing this platform is so that I could speak to that girl that was graduate, that was young, yeah. graduating from college. And then you yeah. come in and you're like, oh, I'm making this much. But the reality yeah. is like, you need to take care of a home first. Exactly. There, exactly. there is a rewarding careers in pharmacy practice. And it's certainly if you come out and you practice a little bit and you're not enjoying it, then you can create, you can pivot and you can do things. Exactly. Exactly. It's but you have like, the freedom to do that if you're free yeah. from the burden of, you know, of, of debt, really. Awesome. This is incredible. So thank you so much for joining me today. And, and uh, just again, sharing all your knowledge about nuclear medicine slash pharmacy. This is great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me again. My pleasure. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow us at Brownskin Stories on Instagram and Facebook, and make sure to join our ever-growing Facebook community at Brownskin Stories representing women pharmacists. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And don't forget to join us for another episode of Brownskin Stories representing women pharmacists at brownskinstories.com slash pharmacy. Again, that's brownskinstories.com slash pharmacy. Thanks for listening. Opinions expressed on this podcast are those of me or my guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of our respective employers, organizations, committees, other groups, or individuals.